0: Well, this morning, we are continuing the sermon series that we began last week that will carry us through the summer. We're calling it More to the Story, Bible Stories You Thought You Knew. in this series, we're going to be immersing ourselves in some of the most epic stories that the Bible has to tell. And if you have a church background, these stories are probably going to be among some of your favorites, most memorable, very familiar. If you don't have a church background, even then, some of these stories you're probably going to be familiar with because these stories are so huge that they're not just for our narrow religious consciousness, they actually have a full foothold in our broader cultural consciousness as well. And so, each week we're going to be visiting, or in some cases revisiting, these stories. And in them, I hope that you'll find what I found when I started to revisit these stories. I'd learned most of these stories as a child. And when I grew up, I started reading them on my own. And when I did, I I started seeing details and meanings that I did not at all remember. Doesn't mean they were omitted necessarily, but I definitely didn't understand the stories in the ways that I started to understand them as an adult. And so, we're going to hopefully be pulling out these details, and I'm confident as we do, you're going to find relevance and meaning for your life today, not just as this incredible, fun story you learned some time ago to put on a shelf. But I think you're also going to find how all of these stories, even these stories deep in the Old Testament, were there to point to Jesus, and so that in them, we can be led to a hope that we have in Jesus Christ for our lives today, whatever it is that you find yourself walking through. And so last week, you did, if you missed it, you missed one of the, probably the most epic stories in the Bible, the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. And so if you missed that, you can go back and you can, you can see. ...on our YouTube channel, which is PCTRNJ, or our podcast, if you're interested. And part of what's great about this series is that each story kind of stands on its own. And so if you miss one, you can go back, but it's not necessary that you were here last week to be able to participate well this week. And so if you've been with us for some time, you probably know that I grew up, for the most part, in the mountains of Colorado, just west of Denver. But I did, my family lived in Florida from the years of about one to five or six. And I remember our house very vaguely, but I remember along the front of the house there was this row of hedges and bushes and flowers, this bed that ran across the entire front of the house right up to where the steps were. There was these couple of steps and this concrete landing right at the front door. And I remember the one time when I was probably about five And I was inspired to do the impossible, to dig a hole to China. And I was going to do it. And so I started doing it right there next to the steps in the bed intended for the bushes and the flowers. And I worked and I worked for what was probably minutes but it felt like hours and hours and hours. And, and, and I was really proud of my accomplishment. I mean, I remember I was able to get into the hole and as I remember it today, I could get up to like where my shoulders were all the way inside the hole. And you know, I was basically almost there, wasn't I? You know, I, that's how I felt. And I was proud of it and I don't know if my parents were as proud as I was, maybe proud of the accomplishment but not the location, I'm not sure. But as we jump into today's story, we're going to see in this story the same kind of aspiration. People seeking to do the impossible by their own strength and their own power to do what really couldn't be done. And so we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 11. If you're interested to follow along, you can follow along on the screen. But either way, listen as as God's word speaks into our lives this morning. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make for a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this chance to gather together with a confidence that you are with us. You promise, Jesus, where two or three are gathered. In your name, you will be here. And so, Holy Spirit... Invite you to lead our thoughts, the considerations of our hearts, the motivations of our souls, and ultimately give us the grace to respond as you would lead us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, last week we looked at the flood story, and one detail that we talked about that's not often emphasized in Noah's story was that everyone on earth was wiped out, except for Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. And at the end of that flood story, God makes a promise to them with that sign of the rainbow that he would never destroy all of creation Never destroy all of humanity again with this flood, which really represents this deep-seated fear of what God might do. And so He gave them this promise upon which they could confidently begin to restore humanity, and so they did. And so this story picks up on the heels of that, basically, and so it makes sense in the opening of our passage that the whole world had one language and one speech, because it came from those eight. And and so they began to expand their families to restore humanity, and they also began to expand their location as more people couldn't all live on the same land. And so this passage we read today says they began to move east, which all, this all was part of God's original plan. As a matter of fact, back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it said this, God blessed them, this was Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. It's actually God's first command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And so filling the earth required moving across the face of the earth, because the earth was given to all of humans to take care of the whole earth on behalf of God. It was also the whole of creation is intended as this, as really a playground or even in kind of more religious language as a temple where we as humans can encounter God. And so God intended for humanity to spread, and here they are restoring humanity with that same purpose in mind, moving east, and they find a plain in a place called Shinar. And they decide, you know what, we've gone far enough. They said in verse 4, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. I mean, just try to picture this for a moment. I mean, you live in Jersey, so this is like the flattest place on earth, right? I grew up in Colorado, remember? So we had like actual mountains and things. So this is hard to picture a tower going to the heavens, right? So, So we've got actually a picture here on the screen. To kind of give you some ideas. We have no detail in the text of what this tower actually looked like. So on the left side, this is an artist's rendition of what the tower could have looked like. A series of concentric circles getting smaller as they go to the top and each level and terrace supporting the weight of the one above it and the ones above that. You see on the right not artist renditions but actual towers that have been built, and there's evidence of these all over the world, right, with these stairways that go up to the heavens. You know, that we call this story the Tower of Babel because, you know, this incredible tower at the center of it is part of their ambition. But as we visit this story, is the tower all they built, See, it's one of those details that we can again miss if we just focus on the titles of the stories or what we've heard of the stories in our background and assume this one idea is really what the whole story is all about. But they didn't just build a tower, did they? They built also a city. They said, let, actually it was first, let us build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Now, why would they want to build a city? Why is that? Why would that be their focus? You know, as they move east into this land they've never been to, why would they want to build a city? And I read an article this week, actually, about three African-American women who in 2020 orchestrated the buying of a city. Actually, it was more like they bought land that they intended to make into a city because it was currently in unincorporated, in this unincorporated county in Georgia. Ashley Scott, Laura Riley Cooper, and Renee Walters wanted to build a city. Why did they want to build a city? In their words, they said, we, wanted, we want freedom. We want From all the things that feel outside of our control. Now, remember, this was the middle of 2020. This is the height of the pandemic. Uncertainty, lockdowns, fear. It's also in the height of the George Floyd murder. murder. Another in the series of violent acts against African Americans. And they wanted freedom. Freedom from all those things that they felt like were outside of their control, freedom from police brutality, freedom from these, these disparities around our health and our wellness. And so they had this idea because they realized that the policies in place in the cities that they were living in weren't working, that they weren't bringing about the life that they longed for, the flourishing of their families and their communities. The policies weren't working, and so they wanted to start again. And so they wanted to build their own city with this vision, an environmentally sustainable city, with its residents pooling resources to achieve collectively what individuals can't do alone. They even had a name. They wanted to name it Freedom. And so with this vision, they went and pitched the idea to 20 of their closest friends, and at the end of their Zoom call, because this is 2020, 16 of their friends actually signed on to this vision. They pooled their money, they bought the land, and began the journey of building a city. Why did they create a city? wanted freedom from all those things that felt like they were outside of their control. They wanted security from the forces that were at work in their lives trying to squash their flourishing of their family, of their community. And really, isn't this why cities have popped up throughout all of history? Because kind of by definition, new city required some people, and those people lived somewhere before, and where they lived before clearly wasn't working, so they needed to find somewhere else so that they could build a new life for themselves and for their family. And so here in Genesis 11, we have this people seeking to build a new life, to build a city with a tower, a huge tower, to the heavens. And why would they want to build this tower in the middle of this city? I I think the reality is this tower to the heavens was not necessarily like we have this concept of heaven and and earth that it, it you know this separate sphere kind of thing yes they believed in the spheres of heaven actually but they weren't trying to get to heaven really they were trying to get above the fray because in the heavens are where the gods resided and the gods were safe from all of the dangers on this earth and in this life and so they wanted to be like the gods They wanted to have security of the gods. They wanted to have the protection. Just think about it. If you're at the top of this tower and enemies try to close in on you, you've got the high ground. You've got the upper hand. You can launch cows out of catapults or whatever other things you want to to defend yourself and and, and you'll keep your enemies at bay. But also think about where they've just come from, the memory of, of what has happened to them just before this. The memory of the flood was still very real. And if you're in a tower that reaches the heavens even if the whole earth is flooded you're going to be okay. They had this deep desire for security. This place of security that they could build with their hands. Oh yeah, and it said so that they could make a name for themselves. In high school, I, I played basketball, and after every game, I would get a copy of the local newspaper, the Canyon Courier. And if you're like, under the age of 35, well, we can talk later about what a newspaper is, yeah, but whatever. I'd get the newspaper, because I wanted to look at the box score, because I wanted to see you know, how many points I got, how many rebounds, and, and don't get me wrong, I already knew. I already knew how many points I had, I already knew how many free throws I made, how many I missed. I already knew all of that, but I wanted to see it in print. And I'm sure everyone else in town who got a copy of that paper was also going right to the box score to see how I played. I'm sure that that's what they were doing also. But I do remember the time that a reporter came to the game. And I had played really well, we had won, and so after the game I actually got interviewed by the reporter and I was going to be quoted in the newspaper and so when that one came out I got like not just one I got as many copies of the paper as I could possibly get right <laughs> because I had made a name for myself I mean among the 18 people that read that local paper but I had made a name and I wanted to be known I wanted to be recognized and these people here in Genesis 11 they want to be known they want to be recognized as something they're looking for fame they're looking for recognition For others to finally see them and realize, man, they're really that good. And they had this incredible audacity and this pride to believe that they could do it. That they could do it on their own. As a matter of fact, that whole section where they talk about making bricks and using tar instead of mortar. Like this was was ingenuity. This was creativity. These weren't like long-known building practices. They were doing something new so that they could build something new. And they were proud of what they had accomplished, and so they wanted this city to be their source of security, but also this source of fame, of significance, of recognition in the world. Oh yeah, and they said, and so otherwise, if we don't do this, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And it's like, wait a second, wasn't that the point? Wasn't that the point back in Genesis 1, 28, when God said, fill the earth, like to be scattered across the face of the earth, and it's kind of like these people are like, yeah, but you know, if we keep moving, then we're going to keep going into these places where we're vulnerable, because we're not going to be able to have this city, we're not going to have this tower, we won't have control over the things that feel like they're outside of our control, we won't have security, we won't have fame, we won't have recognition and significance, So let's not do that whole moving across the face of the earth. Let's just gather here. And one of the questions that certainly comes out of this story for us is what are the cities and towers that we're building? Because this isn't just a story about how there's multiple languages across the earth. It's not just a story about how people became scattered uh, into all corners of the earth. This is a, a story that we're intended to see ourselves in and invites us to consider what are the towers and cities that we're building? What are the things that we're building that we're hoping will give us that sense of security that we desperately long for? The recognition that our hearts, our souls, the significance that we need. And maybe I can frame it this way as we start thinking about our security. What is it in your life that if you lost it, you would start to feel incredibly vulnerable? There might even be a sense of panic, of lostness, because you'd have no idea what to do because your security would be so threatened. If the stock market really takes a plunge, if your portfolio tanks, would that do it for you? If you lost your job, would there be a crisis? If the limited health that you have now began to slip, if the good health you have today took a turn, if the family that you desperately love and loves you is a source of stability, a rock in your life became instead a source of fear, of worry, of frustration, of hurt, would it feel like security is slipping through your fingers? Would you feel a vulnerability that feels so raw it might overwhelm you? What are the things that we're looking to for security, the cities and the towers that we're building? I think this is a part of where our political polarization is coming from in our country. Because we're seeking to build cities and towers where we can all pile in, where we can have the upper hand on our enemies, where we start to believe if we can get the right people in office, the right parties, the right political victories, then finally the security we have desperately been longing for will be here. And when we don't, when the others win, it starts to feel like everything's going to fall apart. building? What are we building that seems to seek fame? Now, I know, I know, you're not actually really into fame. That's fine. You know, none of us really are. Not, you know, not really, but if we looked at social media accounts, they're, you know, who doesn't like another like or love? And, you know, you don't have to put your hand, but if you actually look at the number there, many do. And I know you're not just... Maybe we're not into fame in kind of like the real celebrity sense of the word. So maybe better is to think about recognition, It's to think about, you know, finally being recognized, somebody finally noticing you for the way you want to be noticed, and maybe not by the masses even, maybe it's just when that one person finally recognizes your contribution, when they finally realize that without you, the whole thing falls apart if they'll just finally see you, acknowledge you, recognize you, then maybe, maybe you'll start to feel significant, seen. There's all sorts of ways, I think, that we try to build up our own sense of significance, and we need to feel significant. That's a very real human need, and so we're often striving for it. We often look for that in, in the other person. If we find the one who will love us the way that we really desperately long to be loved, then we'll have significance. We often look for it in, in being needed. If, if, if we, we run around helping others and we, we feel like we're really finally significant, important, what gives us meaning in life and significance is that we help all these other people. What happens when you need to be helped? Does it steal the significance that you have? I mean, we can try to make ourselves feel significant through our appearance, through titles that we seek after and positions and authority. We can try to do it through vacations that we take. We can try to do it through vacations that we don't take, and we compare ourselves to the others and go, look at how irresponsible they're being and how re- responsible I'm being. That's what makes me significant. And how can we, we can't help but on a 4th of July weekend to think about these issues of security, recognition, and significance. You know, and we're grateful as we gather on this weekend for the freedom that God has given us in this unique country. And yet this idea of freedom, of liberty, has grown so much in our consciousness and even become mutated from the original intentions where as our country started, it's become to mean this idea that there are no constraints, no limitations. That we have built up this idea that we should have this incredible, rugged, raging individualism that nobody else should be able to tell us at all what we should do with our lives. And if you go to the political polarization, Depending on which side of the aisle you you sit on, are the issues that are raised up. Don't tell me what to do with this. Don't tell me what to do with that. Because at the heart of this is this raging individualism that's become so much a part of what we believe will give us our security, will give us our significance. And so much of this is about building it up with our own hands, no constraints on me so that I can build the life that I want, so that I can focus my attention, my gifts, my talents, my time, my effort on the things that are going to give me the significance, the security, and the recognition that I want. And these people thought that they were doing it, that they had built something incredible and majestic and glorious and, and actually It probably was. I mean, I don't know about you, but I see those pictures of of the towers and the pyramids around the world that were built in time before modern engineering and machinery, and I marvel at how incredible these things are. Can't really understand and fully fathom how they were able to pull it all together. But there's this little detail that the author of this story includes that I think is so fantastic. And one of the folks in our staff meeting this week, we study the text together as a staff. Somebody pointed out this reality. They said, there's this one little detail that they had built this massive structure, right? But then the author says, God had to come down to see it. Right? This was the tower to the heavens, and yet God had to actually draw close, had to come from his place in the heavens to see. It. It's kind of like God saying, well, I see something going on down there, but I guess I'll go check it out. And he goes and he sees it. Oh man, wow, you've done really well. That's a cute little tower. You know, it's kind of like God coming and seeing a sandcastle. castle. like, wow, that's really incredible. I mean, I made all of the sand that you're using, but, but your castle's pretty good. Oh yeah, and, and I made the whole of creation, so, but your tower's really very nice. God had to come down to see it. Just showing that this, their incredible effort really wasn't even achieving the goal that they thought they longed for, this tower to the heavens. But God does make this interesting statement when He comes and sees it. He says, if, if as one, with one speech and one language they're able to do this much, then nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. And so he decides to confuse their language and to scatter them. Now, on one hand, it's like, well, why would he do that? Because if working together they can do this, this is amazing. And, and actually what it's a testimony to is the potential of human collaboration that if we could actually be unified around the challenges, the problems, and the things that we face day in and day out, we as humans have a capacity that's incredible to do things beyond the things that we see today, beyond the status quo. And it makes sense because we as humans are created in the image of this God who is always making a new way, who is always solving problems, who's always doing the impossible. But then we might go, So why did God then confuse their language? Why would He scatter them if they were living out this incredible vision of humanity? And I think here's the reason. I think God scatters them, does to them what they feared most because they were desperate not to be scattered, because together there was security, there was fame, recognition, and significance. I think God scatters them because He doesn't want them to settle for less than the life He intended for them. See, we could read it and just say he's just punishing them for not continuing to spread across the face of the earth, that he's just punishing them for not doing what they're told, and certainly God to be justified if that was the case, but I don't think that that's the only reason. I think he's more concerned that this life that they're building for themselves is no life at all. This life that they're building for themselves will not lead them to the things that they long for and the things that he made them for. And so he scatters them, doing to them exactly what they feared the most. And God kind of has a a habit of doing this. If you go back to the story in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve are in the garden and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin enters the world in that moment, right? Right? And in that moment, their relationship, the human relationship with God is broken. Their relationship between one another is broken as they start blaming each other and they have this shame and they go hide themselves and and even their relationship with with the earth itself is broken as, as the land becomes cursed because of their sin. And so what does God do? He kicks them out of the garden. And we might read that and go, yeah, see, they're just getting what they deserve. They shouldn't have eaten the fruit. He's kicking them out. Well, what other tree was at the center of the garden? The other tree at the center of the garden was the tree of eternal life. That if they would eat the fruit of the tree of eternal life, they would live on forever. But they would live on with the reality of their brokenness, with the reality of their sin, with the reality of the the separation of their relationship with God, the destruction and erosion of their relationships with one another, their own sense of shame and the, the, the relationship with themselves being destroyed. They would live on forever in sin and brokenness. And So maybe it was God's gracious act to kick them out of the garden to scatter them so that they could ultimately be redeemed, healed, made whole. All that was broken could be reversed. And maybe in Genesis 11, God's scattering them, not just to punish them, but because He has something greater and more beautiful for them. He's scattering them to protect them from themselves from trying to build the life that they cannot actually build on their own. He is scattering them so that they will come to a place of humble dependence upon Him because that's what they're made for. Rather than in their arrogance and pride trying to build security, recognition, and significance on their own. Here's the reality. Some commentators have noted that, that their innovation of bricks and tar was not actually a lasting one. That we don't have evidence of this particular tower anywhere. There's no, nothing left archaeologically, though there are towers that are thousands and thousands of years old that we have evidence of. Some commentators have recognized that in their pride they made this innovation to build for themselves this tower, but in the end it fell apart. And is that not what happens often over and over when we keep trying to build for ourselves a life of security, of recognition, and significance in all these ways, with all these people, in all these situations that are all temporary, that are not lasting? Maybe God scattered them just, and He scatters us for our own good. Maybe God scatters you physically So you'll slow down and you will have to trust him for your sustaining power. Maybe he scatters you emotionally so that you no longer feel like you've got it all put together. But in your brokenness, you just throw yourself at the mercy and dependence of God. Maybe he scatters your plans because he's got something bigger and better and more beautiful for you than you could even imagine. My wife, Abby, and I just celebrated an anniversary and I'm so grateful for her. She's an incredible gift in my life. But before we started dating, I was actively pursuing someone else and praying that God was going to make her the the one. Well, God in his gracious mercy said no. That wasn't my plan. It wasn't what I wanted. And God had something different, something better that he wanted to do. Sometimes when God scatters us and we feel scattered, it's for our own good. Because God wants to work something more beautiful in our lives. And we might say, yeah, okay, I can buy into that some of the time. Yeah, but here's the other thing. Sometimes we feel scattered, and it's not actually for you. I think sometimes God scatters us, and it's actually for someone else's good. God has a history of doing this in the Scripture, too. We'll talk about the story of Jonah later in the summer But Jonah was told very clearly, go to Nineveh and preach a message so that these people will turn from their ways of sin. And Jonah's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to go to Tarshish, totally opposite direction. He ends up in a fish. I think that would have felt a bit scattering. I don't think that's where Jonah saw his life taking him. And yet God had scattered him to bring him to a place of humility so that he would go and he would do what God intended so that there would be hope for a people that had no hope. Sometimes God scatters us so that we can bring a hope that we know that they don't know. God scatters you to bring you to a place of humble dependence on him so that when you engage a world where people are hurting and broken, where they're desperately trying to grasp for security, for recognition, for significance, you can help them see, yeah, all those ways you're trying to build this life, this city, this tower on your own terms, it's not working. But here, let me tell you what could work. This love that God has for you through Jesus Christ is everything that you need. You don't have to to strive any longer. Because here's the thing, as scattered as we feel, there was one who was scattered even more greatly than we could possibly imagine. Jesus Christ was scattered beyond what we can even fully imagine. The the Son of God was scattered in that He came from heaven to earth, entering into the human experience. He was scattered relationally as his friends, some of whom were closest to him, betrayed him, rejected him, turned on him. He was scattered emotionally as he pled in the garden, as he sweat drops of blood, pleading with the Father if there is any other way to give them significance, to give them fame, to give them recognition, to give them the significance that they desperately need. If we can do this any other way than me having to die, let's do that. And as he was there dying on the cross, physically scattered from being whipped and now being crucified, he's spiritually scattered, forsaken by the Father, so that all of our effort to build a city and a tower of significance, recognition, and security on our own terms, we could put it to bed. And in its place, we could receive from him all of the security, the significance and recognition that we need, knowing that we are loved by the God of the universe. See, sometimes God scatters us, and it's for our own good. Sometimes God scatters us, and it's for somebody else's good. So that we can share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. A hope that truly lasts. A love that gives us true security, true recognition, and true significance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible gift. The gift of your Son, Jesus Christ we recognize that we have tried to build cities and walls and towers to protect ourselves, to make a name for ourselves. Lord, help us to lay that down before you to receive that gift of being scattered, of feeling broken, of feeling vulnerable, of feeling all over the place, of feeling like our plans have been thwarted. May we receive it as a gift so that in the place of our own effort, we could receive the effort of Jesus, his life scattered, so that we could receive the love and the significance that our hearts and our souls long for. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.